Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This podcast is for everyone seeking the details, context, and facts behind the banner headlines on immigration. It's the podcast that gives you the latest on immigration policy and politics and the real world impacts on the people and businesses that make our world turn. If you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by the nerds at Erickson Immigration Group, guiding clients and their employees through the complex immigration system for over 20 years. Hello, immigration nerds. I'm Lauren Clark, senior attorney at Erickson Immigration Group. I am a fellow nerd, an immigrant, and host of this amazing podcast. On every episode, we're joined by the smartest nerds in the know as we cover trends in business, culture, technology, and politics at the intersection of global immigration. Today, we're pulling back the curtain on the United States Diversity Visa Lottery, a lottery where winners can gain permanent residency. Created in 1990 to foster diversity, the hope of a winning ticket fostered dreams of going to America, the land of milk and honey. Coming up in a few minutes, Dr. Carly Goodman, author of Dreamland, America's Immigration Lottery in an Age of Restriction. But first, we'll get everyone up to speed with a roundup of the immigration news that we should all be aware of. Back with us today, the OG News Nerd-in-Chief, Ericsson Immigration Group partner, Rob Taylor. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Rob. Welcome back. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be back with you. So what tops the list this time? Yeah, so I think the biggest news in immigration lately has been Canada's open work permit program for H-1B visa holders. I know you and Justin did a great job covering this just recently. And as discussed on your talk with him, July 16th was the first eligible filing date. Well, within 48 hours of opening, the program is now closed. Uh, the government has received 10,000 applications and, uh, and they'll now start adjudicating those. So this was obviously a program that was very well received, very popular. It goes to show you that clearly H-1B visa holders are looking for alternatives to working in the U.S. on the H-1B with the restrictions that come with it. So I think now we'll just have to wait and see how the adjudication of these applications play out. Also see what the Canadian government's response is to uh, all 10,000 being used so quickly and if they might make updates or amendments to the program going forward. So I think this is just kind of a wait and see thing at this point. Definitely. I think as we predicted, it was going to be 10,000 very quickly assumed applications versus the one year that they had intended for the program to be open for. So we'll be keeping an eye on updates coming out of Canada. On the immigration side of things, going back to something that we talked about a while ago, was a immigration bill in Florida, uh, SB 1718, and it specifically targeted undocumented immigrants in Florida. Well, a lawsuit's been brought against Florida to challenge the constitutionality of the bill. Uh, the challenge brings forth a number of arguments, uh, you know, such as like the violation of the supremacy clause. Um, but I think my favorite argument is that the law itself is just incoherent, which is probably a surprise to no one. But uh, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Florida has not yet responded to the challenge, so they'll have a chance to, uh, to argue back to the constitutionality of the bill. And then uh, we'll see if there might be uh, further delays with the implementation of the laws. So we'll, we'll keep our listeners posted as, uh, as things develop there. Perfect. What else do you have for us, Rob? And while we're talking about humanitarian issues, DHS has announced a family reunification parole process for individuals from Colombia, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. 
This will allow individuals from these countries to remain together in the U.S. for up to three years while pursuing permanent residency. So the application process is discretionary and it will be reviewed on a case-by-case basis, but we're hopeful that it will be a useful tool in enabling families to stay together through the immigration process. Some definite positive immigration change and not the only announcement coming from DHS. Correct. So on the business immigration side of things, DHS announced that there have been additions to their uh, STEM field definitions. And so this is particularly important for individuals who are on F1 OPT status. So as you know, and some of our listeners may be aware, when an individual graduates from a U.S. college or university, um, they can potentially qualify for OPT, which is essentially like a one-year work program. Uh, if an individual obtains their degree in a STEM field, they can actually qualify for up to three years of work authorization. So the expansion of these STEM fields allows certain individuals to potentially stay in the U.S. for a longer period of time and gives them a greater likelihood of like qualifying for an H-1B or, or other visa. Lastly, the other update from the Department of State is the August Visa Bulletin. So there was significant retrogression in the EB-1 category. Uh, We've talked about this before again as well. The Visa Bulletin is a monthly document that's issued by the Department of State. It outlines when individuals can qualify for permanent resident status. And so the retrogression, meaning dates actually moved backwards, does significantly impact folks both in their ability to apply for permanent residency and even obtain their green card if they have a permanent residency application pending. So I know that you conducted a LinkedIn Live special to discuss the implications of this in in more detail. So I'd encourage our listeners to check out the EIG LinkedIn website or just eiglaw.com to hear more about the implications of this uh, retrogression and, and also possible workarounds for folks. Definitely. We took a deep dive into the Visa Bulletin, what those numbers mean, how the quotas work, and particularly in relation to the August Visa Bulletin. Well, I'm glad that, you know, as our motto, uncomplicate the complicated, because most people find the Visa Bulletin about as clear as mud. So uh, it'll be welcome information to the public to just better understand how this process works. Well, thank you so much, Rob Taylor. Thank you. I appreciate you having me today. And it's uh, great to be back and talk to you again. Now for a conversation about the United States Diversity Visa Lottery. Joining us from Philadelphia, the author of the amazing book, Dreamland, America's Immigration Lottery in an Age of Restriction, is author Carly Beth Goodman, PhD. Carly, welcome to the Immigration Nerds Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It's really exciting to be here. I've heard you talk to some authors before and have bought books because I listen to the Immigration Nerds Podcast. And it's really just an honor to be here in conversation with you. Now, I do want all our nerds out there to know that in addition to being an author, you are also a senior editor at Made by History at the Washington Post, where you edit daily commentary and analysis from the nation's leading historians. Yes, we publish uh, historical analysis, trying to put the headlines in their historical context and really help readers understand the deeper roots of what's going on in our world today. And there's clearly been a lot of immigration news over the last few years. So I've had many opportunities to help edit the real experts in helping people understand the strong continuities across time periods um, and to sort of uh, upend the idea that what we are seeing is unprecedented and unrooted. 
I think one of the things that I found reading Dreamland was your background and your training as a historian weaves so nicely throughout the book's analysis of the diversity lottery. And so I guess with that, can you tell us a little bit about how Dreamland came to be? Yes, I was always interested in immigration, and I thought that I was going to work on a project historicizing U.S. asylum policy and questions about refugees. But in my first summer after I began graduate school, I was traveling in West Africa, and that is where I discovered the diversity visa lottery. And I think that this was a really good starting point for a project, a project that some people said, you know what, that's, there's not that much there. There's not that much meat. Actually, you know, there's a lot more exciting things happening legally, policy-wise in asylum, right? And if, if you talk to immigration attorneys, the visa lottery you know, maybe people will have had one visa lottery client in their lives, but it doesn't require a great deal of legal analysis. Um, and so it's been sort of off the radar of people here in the United States. But while I was traveling in West Africa, I was going to these cyber cafes to check my email because it was in the recent but still distant past of the early 2010s, um, and discovering that people were going to the Department of State website and trying to play this lottery thing, a, an element of the immigration system that I really had no clue about before. It's it's something that's almost invisible here, but it really loomed large in places like Accra and Togo and Benin and, and other places where I was traveling. So that was sort of the kernel of the beginning of the project. And I was just sort of intrigued. Where did this thing come from? We have this vast, complex immigration policy apparatus and system. And here's something that you know, you never really hear about in the debates in, in the United States. So that was the beginning of the project. And then I started to read about its origins and the way that it was legislated. And the story had so many twists and turns. I knew that I had, you know, a great tale on my hands. And really, like the diversity lottery does have a rich history, which you explore so well in the book. Yes, it's a really fascinating story. I mean, obviously, I've been fascinated by it for a decade now, but I hope it comes across to, to readers as well. And it's very intricately bound up in the recent history of immigration policy and sort of how the United States has designed its immigration admissions and exclusions over the decades. Um, and I'll do the classic historian thing where I sort of say, well, I'm going to tell you about 1990, but actually we have to go back to 1965. And actually we have to go back even further than that to the 1920s. And why not go back to the late 19th century and Chinese exclusion to really understand, you know, the whole shape of the apparatus of federal immigration. But the beginning of the lottery is really uh, rooted in the Hart-Celler Act of 1965, the basis for our immigration system over the last 60 years, which did a few things. It eliminated older restrictions that were really rooted in eugenics. But by the era of the civil rights movement, those ideas seemed very outdated and not really appropriate, especially for a a global superpower that was trying to win a Cold War by capturing the hearts and minds of a decolonizing world. Uh, so it didn't look too good to have this eugenic immigration restriction system that, uh, that said, actually, we only want Northern and Western Europeans. These other folks are, you know, um, sullying the good racial stock of the country. And that really is how they spoke about it in the 1920s. In the 1960s, 1965, 
that system is finally eliminated. And the system that replaces it is one that will probably feel familiar to us. Uh, it's largely based on family unification as a guiding principle. Um, but then there are a few other ways that we recruit immigrants to serve specific labor needs. And then especially in this era, 65, 70s, 80s, especially after 1980, prioritizing the admission of people for specific humanitarian reasons, so get a refugee system. I opened the book <laughs> by talking about a number of undocumented Irish immigrants. And I know we started this story in Africa, but now I'm going to tell you about Irish people. And that's sort of the twist at the heart of, of the beginning of the book, because this is the, the group of folks whose activism really is the impetus for the creation of the visa lottery, a group of undocumented Irish immigrants who don't have family members to sponsor them to come legally in the early 1980s. And they say, look at what you did in the 1965 Act. You ended an older system that had privileged us, but now you've left us out to dry. We, the Irish, Irish immigration being so central to so much of US history, uh, this isn't fair. And we need to find pathways for other Irish immigrants like us to get access to these legal visas because this restrictive system that keeps us undocumented is harmful to us. It's hurting us. It's limiting our human potential. It's making it hard to be rooted in our communities. It's undermining the very premise of the American dream and the American immigration system. And so uh, leading up to, to 1990, you get these calls for a new kind of visa, a visa that would admit people who aren't close family members of US citizens, who don't have very specific skills or job that is sponsoring them, and who don't have a particular humanitarian need to be admitted. So those are our three main ways that we admit immigrants in the United States. We need a, another channel. And the concept that they arrive at is we need to diversify immigration. You know, there are hardly any Irish people getting immigrant visas under this system because there are so few family members to sponsor them. So we need to invite independent immigrants without connections here, without those relationships, because doing so is at the core of what it means to immigrate to the United States. That's, that's the history that they're sort of harking back to and evoking in policymakers' minds. And in 1990, they're successful. They create a whole new visa category. And I think that's a very insightful part of the book when addressing the diversity visa in the framework of what American immigration system looks like, in that the diversity visa seems like this exception to the rule where most visa policies are designed to keep individuals out or limit and restrict migration, where the diversity visa seems to be about bringing people in without restrictions simply by winning a lottery. And I think additionally, the book also addresses, it's an immigration policy that seems to be working. Um, and so I guess, what was it in terms of kind of looking at the history, looking at the visa that you think kind of works as the exception to the rule of American immigration? I think we spend relatively little time talking about what works. It does not make the headlines. So our debates, I think, are often being conducted on the wrong terms. Uh, and we haven't even necessarily like questioned the, you know, the, the terms of the debate that is handed to us. And yet, 
even as this has been, you know, a, a fraught political and policy issue in recent years, people have continued to immigrate, right? Uh, your, your listeners, <laughs> immigration lawyers are dealing every day with people who are coming in, not just people who are being kept out. Uh, so we have family members and workers, consumers, students, guest workers, asylum seekers, refugees, also diversity visa immigrants, the mechanism is that they enter the lottery, and if they're selected, then they may go and apply for a green card. It's kind of the way that a lot of the public imagines the system when you hear people say, oh, get in line, come the right way. For many, many people, there is no line because of how restrictive the system is, how it's based on these categories that the U.S. is selecting immigrants uh, to fulfill as family members and, and workers. Most of the world can't immigrate that way. And the visa lottery is really one of the few opportunities that they have to even uh, to even try. And so I guess with that, kind of maybe to provide a brief understanding of what the visa lottery is, can you walk our listeners through kind of what the diversity lottery is and who it's available to? Because it's not also available to everyone. It's not available to everyone, but it's, as I say, pretty capacious compared to uh, how restrictive so many parts of the immigration system are. So the visa lottery is an annual event. Uh, at first, it was conducted through the mail, and now it is conducted online. Uh, and people who are nationals of countries that have sent few immigrants to the U.S. are eligible to put their name in the ring. Uh, they have to be adults, high school graduates, or its equivalent, or have uh, some training and experience in a trained skill that the State Department determines. And then as you apply, you can also bring your dependents, your spouse and children can be part of the application as well. Names are selected. Uh, you find out if you've been selected in May, and then you go through the sort of normal process of going to your consular officer and, you know, providing your documentation and making the and the fee and providing the application for for the diversity visa itself. Um, so what countries are eligible? Almost every country in the world, except for those that have sent more than 50,000 people in the previous five years. Um, and so this, this actually goes back to the, the origins of the program where, um, where the Irish were trying to figure out how to get themselves some, some visa spaces and noted that Irish people had won relatively few visas through the family system, through these other systems. And so they said, well, this country is actually underrepresented in the immigration stream at this point. So it's those underrepresented countries that are eligible for the visa lottery. Um, I have alluded to it, but I should say it's a very important channel for African immigration, which has been historically quite limited. And even after the 1965 Act sort of drops those old nation-based restrictions, relatively few African people had family members to sponsor them. Uh, and so the visa lottery has been really, really important in creating a channel of access for legal immigrant visas. It has definitely had a popular attraction with certain African countries. I know, for example, Nigeria didn't qualify for at least the 2022 diversity visa program because it was considered a country of high admission. So it kind of reached that 50,000 people through other visa categories. So the eligibility ebbs and flows with you know the types of applications and how many people are coming from a designated country into the United States, either under the diversity visa or under the other streams that we've kind of discussed. 
Yes, I sometimes, I, I think I've seen it referred to as like it, it graduated <laughs> from the program and it has caused some consternation at, at the time that it seems unfair that it's no longer available. But that that is the reason that in in some ways it's a victim of its own success because um, Nigeria was very underrepresented in the you know immigration stream and then uh, many Nigerians won the visa lottery and then they're able to then sponsor family members to join them um, and Nigerians have come for for many reasons you know as skilled workers and things like that as well so it has ebbed and flowed and I think brought more Nigerians into those other streams as a result and yet its popularity it's obviously still a as we mentioned before a visa program that seems to be working, there's still a high demand for the diversity lottery. And I know within the book, you explore kind of whether or not the promise of this American dream that the diversity lottery is offering um, has been threatened by the United States embrace of anti-immigrant policies and persistent anti-Black racism, particularly across the presidencies of Obama, Trump, and the COVID border policies that came during that time and now Biden. How do you think that's had an impact on the diversity lottery overall? And is this concept of America as the dreamland? Well, I sometimes think that immigrants themselves are bringers of the American dream, that it sort of lives in immigrants themselves. But I think we could do better. <laughs> um, and I, I should say, I feel like it, this goes back before, before Obama, that the United States has this very ambivalent relationship to immigration, that there's a kind of um, widespread acknowledgement that immigration has been really critical to U.S. history and development. Um, that it's central to so many of our family's stories and our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues. We see a lot of celebration and heralding of immigrant contributions. And so it seems very intricately tied to sort of what's at the heart of the best of us. But we've also long been a, a nation of nativists and that there have been these persistent anxieties and violence in American life towards uh, foreign born people who are seen as, you know, threatening of the established order. And that sits uneasily with a system that is all too happy to sort of take take immigrants labors and take their work, take their lives, but refuses to see them as members of our, our of our communities and, and our society. So those things have been an uneasy relationship for ever. And then in recent years, we see this sort of accelerating nativism gaining power in our policymaking and in our, our politics. So even when you see a popular polling showing that Americans really think immigration is a positive thing. That's not the impression you get from the tenor of the news coverage of immigration or how people who are immigrants are, are treated by their neighbors and by the, the country itself. And I think the the book, the dreamland in itself, really does a great job of exploring that dichotomy of you know the American dream, and it's fueled so much by you know the history and the research that you did into the diversity lottery, but also everything that was surrounding its creation and how it works in today's society. For readers of the book, I guess what is the big takeaway, or what are some of the takeaways that you're hoping Dreamland will provide to readers? My goal is to really help people understand more about this really complicated system where so much of how it is 
understood and debated is not really rooted in any understanding of it. Uh, I think your listeners are rare exceptions, people who really do know about this system. They know it inside and out uh, for better and worse. But the broader readers, even you know, really s- smart people, just really don't have a clue as to how it operates. So it's very good that you have a podcast <laughs> that explores those issues and you'll never run out of episodes because it's endlessly complicated. And I think you know that that understanding it can help people think about, well, what kind of country do we want to be? What kind of world do we want to build? One where you're born determines your fate or one where we expend tremendous resources to block people's entry and to sort of curtail any sense uh, that this is a place to come and dream? Or can we build something better that is more inclusive uh, where we can all find freedom and build the lives that, that we hope to build? Maybe that's a bit lofty for my book. <laughs> We're definitely blessed, obviously, to have this platform to really get out there and and talk about immigration stories, but also the immigration system. And I think Dreamland is such a beautiful complement to the goal here. And even as an immigration attorney, I found the book highly fascinating and and learning things, you know, beyond kind of the legislation that I'm really dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So Dr. Carly Goodman, author of Dreamland, America's Immigration Lottery in Age of Restriction, thank you so much for being our guest on the Immigration Nerds podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a delight. And thank you to all you nerds out there listening. You can track everything going on at Erickson Immigration Group at our website, eiglaw.com. And remember, if you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe and share. And meet us right back here for another new episode of Immigration Nerds.